0: The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan, with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages,
1: Stand
0: up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me on the other line, just finishing up this Dark Hold, it's Andy Greenwald.
1: You, you blew it early. That's going to be our big double down book club read this summer. The Dark hold? <laughs> Larry McMurtry's The Dark Hold. Do they
0: have that on Kindle yet?
1: I don't think so, no, but we support small businesses and independent bookstores. Who so. do you
0: think the, the, the ideal person to be the like would be the voice of the Darkhold in the audiobook?
1: Oh, um, the guy who made The Room?
0: Michael Stuhlbarg?
1: Or the guy who made The Room, yes. Or the guy yes. who made The
0: Room, yeah. Uh, Greenwald, No it's bad ideas. Uh, It's so great to see you. Uh, we're going to be talking about the WandaVision finale and what we learned, how we've grown as people. Uh, over the course of these two months watching this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple other things we'll sprinkle in there. How was your weekend?
1: Well, I appreciate you, as always, giving me some space to to, to unpack my own stuff and talk about my experiences, but I reject it today. Mm. Turning it back on you, you are burying the lead. Moments before hitting a record, Chris announced to me that he had shaved his mustache, which, <laughs> to me, is a sign that maybe optimism is back. America funny is you back. you should
0: say that. I had With in my mind... With the passage of the
1: $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan came I, the revelation of Chris's upper lip.
0: I did shave this for Joe. I, I shaved my, my Creepy yes. Joe mustache for Sleepy Joe. But I had in my mind thought to myself, like, maybe I'll shave, like, the second I get the... Uh, that that vax you know right and shout out to hey can we say this shout out to our moms our moms got the, the vaccine in philadelphia this weekend and uh not
1: together but essentially at the same time yeah at the at same time pharmacies spread out across the greater region yes
0: so i do have a little bit of optimism today and that's maybe why i'm i'm, I'm freshly shorn like a, a baby sheep
1: do you feel different because let me just say you look great you look a year younger you look like you did early 2020.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel different. Um, I had It was a pre- pretty interesting weekend. I think part of the thing is that I've been going through a little bit of a transformation this weekend. Oh.
1: Are you becoming the Scarlet Witch?
0: No, but I think I'm becoming Scandinavian. Oh. Because I'm okay. currently watching going. two mm-hmm. Scandinavian, I guess, crime shows. But they're really making me question what, like... It is that I like about crime shows in the first place on HBO Max. So the first one is The Investigation. Have you watched any of this?
1: No, but I believe a guy from early Borgen is in that show, right? Two
0: guys from Borgen are
1: in it. Love it. Yeah. Okay, that's, and that's it's all written, I
0: need. It's written and directed by a guy who used to write on Borgen, Tobias Lindholm. And nice. if you guys if you guys have watched Borgen, it obviously fe- features Euron Greyjoy in a, in a role in Investigation. He plays a lawyer. And then the guy who is, it's been a minute since I watched Borgen, but basically the dude who runs the uh, the evening news.
1: Yeah, that's the guy I recognize from the ads, yeah.
0: He's the star of the show, and he plays the lead detective, and it is about the investigation, literally, uh, into the death of the Swedish journalist, Kim Wall. So I don't know if you read about that story when it happened a few years back in 2017, I think it was. I did, um,
1: by the way, for people who watch Borgen like I did, the character you're talking about played the Robert Guillaume in Sports Night role.
0: Yeah, Right, except he gets <laughs> dunked on a lot. He basically gets okay. yelled at, and um, but this is uh, this has been a pretty fascinating watch. So it, it's wrapping up tonight. It's
1: actually. fictionalized, but it's about something that was real.
0: No, it's it's pretty accurate. I mean, from what I understand, like but I mean, it it's, a,
1: it's dramatized. These people dra- weren't a involved dramatized, in the
0: real, painstakingly okay. dramatized uh, rendition of of recreation of the investigation into this woman's death. And okay. it's a, a sensational murder. It was, she she was killed on a personal submarine of a sort of an eccentric kind of techie disruptor guy in in Denmark and uh, never
1: never never just don't get get into submarines that aren't
0: uh, like don't fly a flag and so anyway I mean the the point is is that obviously it's Scandinavian so it's just kind of cool being there and being cold but this show is really uh, inverts a lot of the things that you have come to expect about uh, crime shows and it is I mean, you hear the term slow TV thrown around a little bit. Okay. But, you know, as somebody who really likes crime shows, I am often forced to interrogate why that is. Like, is it that I like these sort of, like, cool antiheroes? And, or, you know, am I, like, want to walk on the dark side a little bit? Check. This show is entirely about the painstaking detail work that goes into putting together a, a case against someone. And I, I'm not kidding, and I'm not spoiling anything by saying there is a... 50 minute episode that is almost entirely comprised of divers diving into the sound off of Copenhagen looking for evidence coming back up and being like we didn't find anything. That is like 50 minutes and then the guy being like shit. Like that is it. And it's like it's it's actually like way more like this is what this is really like. It's not romantic at all, but it has idealism. And I guess I'm really I'm really responding to that. The other Scandinavian show that I'm watching right now is Bear Town. And Wait, Before
1: you get into Beartown, can I just ask you? Yeah, hit me. I think people will know this about me. Like, I'm intrigued by the investigation, but at the same time, my interest in Copenhagen is such that I would really only watch it if the divers came up empty and then the camera panned around to the uh, former Noma pastry chef Rosa Sanchez's Ica de Sanchez taco stand.
0: Did you just have that, that, that in your back pocket?
1: But, yeah, that is located by the harbor in Copenhagen. And if they went there for lunch and talked about the struggles of finding the wreckage of private submarines or what have you yeah. over freshly griddled corn tortillas, like, that's
0: cool. There's not but a I, lot of lifestyle stuff going on in this one. See, there's some know. good interior design. There's some walks in the woods. It looks like a beautiful place. But there's just a lot of diving and a lot of people sort of driving around answering cell phone calls.
1: What is the level of Borganese spoken in the show? For people who don't realize that Borganese is, or who haven't heard us say this before, Borganese is a very specific hybrid language that is half whatever the Scandinavian mother tongue is and half phrases said very quickly in heavily accented English.
0: Yeah, don't have a cow, man.
1: <laughs> and then and then uh, further in Swedish. I imagine the phrase private submarine is untranslatable.
0: No, it, it, they, they've got uh, Danish. <laughs> they've got a Danish <laughs> oh. way of saying that. Oh, um, You know, and then the other show that I'm watching right now is also on HBO Max. It's only a couple episodes into its run. It's called Beartown. And it is about, uh, it's a small town drama set in a sort of dilapidated Swedish factory town centering around a junior hockey team. And it's about an NHL player who comes back to his hometown to coach the junior hockey team and shit goes wrong. And... I, you know, we, we started talking about this a while back when we were talking about Call My Agent and Lupin. But I'm, I think we should, I, it's worth mentioning now. I just don't understand why they can't make American shows this good anymore. Like, why they, I, I want to almost check out like debris on NBC or something. Right. Like, I don't understand why other countries seem to have mastered the art of like adding wrinkles to well worn subjects. Like, this is just hockey Friday Night Lights, but a lot less romantic, Bear Town.
1: You, I think you've hit on something really important that should influence our coverage of the next year of television, which is that TV has definitely gotten too clever for its own good. And not just clever, but hyper niche, hyper specific. Mm -hmm. Part of that has to do for sure with the way TV is made in America versus in smaller countries. And the way TV is made in America now is... Bespoke television for 17 different streaming services, nearly all of which are designed to exist globally as well. And it's very hard to just make something that is a fastball down the crime middle travel. smacked.
0: Yeah, out I of guess the, the New York crime drama is SVU. Like, I guess the the those, some of those crime dramas are like that.
1: But I do think there is increasingly a shift, and you generally, when there's a shift, internally within the industry it takes a year or two to to play out in terms of what people can watch but i do think that that at least you know in terms of the meetings i'm having and the conversations i'm having there is a shift from the uh heady anthology series mm-hmm. or the basically the model that fx pioneered and everyone else gobbled up over the last 10 years back to Oh wait, why don't we just make something entertaining that a lot of people will watch and will watch for years? And it's weird that it diverged. And I think part of that was this the sort of residual stink of that type of show being a broadcast network show. Right. Which is you know still kind of lost in its own sauce of who it has to serve and service and what it has to be. But you know, there's a reason why Succession is gonna keep winning Emmys and right. Better call Saul is going to keep fueling conversations like ours. I mean, all the services are now looking, I would say they are all looking for their Bear Towns, but what a Bear Town means in America outside of parts of Fire Island is unclear.
0: There is a, that's very funny. Uh, There is a, the second episode of Bear Town is, I would say, 70% comprised of one hockey match and i was like this is this rules like it was actually like just a sports movie in the second episode of bear town it was really uh-huh. really and i was like i don't think that they would do this on the regular hbo or the netflix version of this show they would have like a quick highlight reel and then they would be like they won or they lost or here's like the winning goal or something like this but this is like painstakingly like you see like the team go down to nothing and and score three goals unanswered
1: do you think ice hockey is currently Overrepresented, underrepresented, or correctly represented in American culture.
0: Well, you know, that's a fascinating conversation topic. I mean, I, I think Lake Placid and like the miracle on ice has gotten mm-hmm. a fair amount of of mind share, but I'm not sure. I'm not I I think we're due a hockey show. I I would be down for I mean Mighty Ducks is coming back, right? Good point.
1: The reason I I ask um has nothing to do with um any like NHL uh, uh, resurrection in my own timeline no, or life. Never, I never, never, never been was under a fan. no
0: illusions that you were like, I have a secret hockey passion.
1: There was like, he, our, our friend Matt, who I know, know listens to our show on occasion, like when, when we were hanging out a lot in high school and we would be talking about records or Quentin Tarantino movies every so often, he would be like, mentioned that he's super into uh, the St. Louis blues And what was that guy? It was like Bret Hart or something. Bret Hull, Hull, right. Bret Hull was a wrestler. Right. And I was just like, that is the undiscovered country. That is the thing that you carry that I can never understand (laughs) or know. Um, But recently in my household, we watched the Pixar film Inside Out. Mm -hmm. And while people are picking up on this, I think my, and it's actually going to come up in a surprising way later in this podcast, I think. My opinions about Pixar have been trending slightly downward. I do think this movie remains a masterpiece. And- we watched it with the family. And I was concerned that both of my children, even the older one, who's incredibly articulate and, and clever and smart and uh, perceptive, might struggle with like the, the ideas of emotions and who's steering and what it's trying to say about how we form memories. All of that was fine. All of that was completely basic. What neither of them have recovered from was the main character, Riley's obsession with ice hockey and its role in her <laughs> life. They, they were so in on this young girl protagonist and her emotional struggle and moving to a new town and navigating school and friends. But the end game for Riley is that she wants to join a new ice hockey team in the Bay Area and they were just lost. They were out on it. Out on it. So I, it, it, it's a it's still a divisive sport.
0: Yeah, I think it's very cinematic though. Like the skating back and forth, there's a lot of flow to it. There's a lot of like, you know, hitting. I, I think it, it's got a lot a lot to it. Uh, anything else from your weekend that you wanted to touch on before we just just dive headlong into Wandavision? I, mean, I know people really came for Bear Town and Mustache updates. I,
1: I do want to talk about uh, coming to America, coming to America, but we could save that for after Wandavision. If you, want. I
0: watched, yeah, I watched a little bit of it. You want to save it for after Wandavision?
1: No, why don't we, let's just let's just get into this quickly. Um, I so I think I, I guess I didn't really have my finger on the pulse. I don't know if people were expecting it to be great. Um, I don't know exactly how bright the flame of ardor for this 30-plus-year-old film burns in the hearts of people who aren't exactly us and exactly our age. Mm -hmm. But, you know, not unexpectedly, the the movie dropped on Amazon, and then I I did see some negative feedback to it, and I watched it. And (laughs) I I gotta say...
0: (laughs) You saw some negative feedback, and that prompted you to watch it.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. I was gonna watch it no matter what. I realize this might sound counterintuitive, but I actually think that this is one of those projects that weirdly the pandemic helped hmm. because this was made to be a cinematic release you know this was intended to be a big big screen experience that people would go see and maybe that would have been fun to, to laugh with with the barbershop guys again 30 whatever years later but
0: Th- those guys kind of old in coming to America
1: incredible <laughs> that that was actually my favorite thing about the sequel is that Eddie Murphy still maybe his best performance <laughs> as the old Jewish guy in the barbershop who is well, into his 80s, and the first film is still he's sitting like, in a barbershop.
0: 117. Shop.
1: Is he just drinking the blue water that they put the combs in, and that's somehow like keeping him COVID free and happy? I, lo- I love that. Um, and I love those scenes. Those are my favorite scenes in the sequel. But I, what I wanted to say was it's best, I think, not to consider this a movie in the way we used to consider movies. This to me was a reunion special, a mm-hmm. wildly overpriced and mislabeled reunion special. But at its heart, it really wasn't that different than, like, the Parks and Rec Zoom meetup last fall, you know? Sure. Um, it was an exercise in nostalgia that was really just about the people wanting to have fun again and maybe you get a few laughs and smiles remembering the good times. Which, at this point, I think should be its own genre and was kind of interesting. There was something, you remember the happy endings read-through thing on Zoom that was really funny? And yeah. there was that moment last year when we were all like, you know what, it doesn't actually matter that this is on a, a, a crappy app that we all use and that people are just in their homes or apartments. It's it's fine. And that lowered our expectations to a degree. And I I I'm trying to 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 wrap my arms around an idea that like maybe in the same way that movies have slightly changed and our perception of them have changed and that will play out over the next year or so, you know, if and when theaters actually reopen across the majority of the country. But there was a flattening. And the flattening in this case helped coming to America. Instead of feeling like a cynical cash grab or a totally out of touch nostalgia trip, it was just kind of a pleasant thing that was on TV. Is that is that heartwarming? That's Have I gone beautiful, soft? Man.
0: No, I mean, I, I because I got it was a, a mess, but so it was here, fine. Here my experience watching that. I watched it for a little while after I got done watching Harry and Meghan last night. Very excited for Harry and Meghan. Speaking of finger
1: on the zeitgeist.
0: Well, me and 17 million other of my fellow Americans, we can't be wrong.
1: Uh (laughs) Great, great point.
0: Um, So I started watching it and this was a really interesting film in the sense that for six and a half minutes, I'd be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever watched. Uh And then in the seventh minute, it would make me laugh. And it kept doing that so that I kept watching. But it would be like, what you know, Eddie Murphy and his four daughters stick fighting and training like for I'm like that. I mean, that probably, was insane. But that like literally was like probably the cost of a Duplass movie to get that scene done. And then I was just like, that was pointless. You know what I mean? And then and then Wesley Snipes shows up, and you're like, oh, I'm in. Come on, you gotta gotta watch Wesley Snipes. It
1: it w- it, it was crazy too because one of the things I mean that that first movie is just it, it's it's a classic for us and and oh,
0: huge huge. It,
1: it, its view of like fictional Fantasia, Afri- pan africanness is like, that's not something we are here to unpack. Certainly not even the 1989 version of us. No. But now this movie comes out and it's just like, we're going to do Black Panther also, which kind of was its own version of that. So they're going to be stick fighting. And, you know, shouts to the director, Craig Brewer, whose beautiful camera work to just kind of swoop above and beyond the middle part of Eddie Murphy's body, which is not in stick fighting shape no offense I mean none of who among us are after the year we've had but it, it, it was weird the way it, the, it just kind of couldn't get out of its own way time and time again like you have Kiki Lane who I love as an actor as the older daughter and but yet like so, ego or history or patriarchy dictates that this needs to be about the son that he had yeah you know and so Jermaine Fowler who was really good by yeah. the way I'm like oh this kid maybe is a star I loved you think,
0: him you think it's patriarchy huh
1: I think patriarchy is to blame for coming to America. I just didn't understand like the movie where Akeem has to like make, change the rules of Zamunda, which, you know, spoiler, we get there. But like, (laughs) there's something there. But instead we're just like, Okay. I mean I'm I'm We are I'm happy. so
0: fucking lost in the sauce of this quarantine I'm where just I'm saying. just like I'm full on Swedish. Like I've just like applied for dual citizenship and you're you're like way into this Zemunden parliamentary procedure.
1: I'm you know, I did some you're research. I did the cinema
0: some, of Zamunda.
1: I did some late research on Zamunda's Title Nine. And I have to say it does not go far enough in terms of national stick fighting representation.
0: Oh my god. Um let's what get it, in,
1: what a time. Let's the get into thing. Wanda.
0: Oh, you want to do one more coming to America thing? Rick Ross, pretty good. Pretty good.
1: (laughs) Not a bad actor. Nice to see him.
0: This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. Let's get into Wanda. Let's do it. We uh, we obviously have talked about this show every episode. We've we've really st- like uh, been through the ringer with this one because I think while we anticipated it being a really big deal, I don't think we had any idea that it was going to become such a cultural flashpoint uh, and such a huge conversation starter. Yet, at once, also feel a little disappointed by the 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 product. You know what I mean? I think that. I, I I thought I would like it fine and that people would be like, this is really cool, but that it would be the first step in, you know, a long sort of rise to the next films and the next phase of the of the MCU. But I so I was kind of taken aback by like how captivated everybody was by it. At the same time, I think I had to like kind of figure out like why why do I not like some of this stuff? And so going into this last episode, I really tried to go in with like an open mind and an open heart and just let it happen. Uh, which I which I did. Uh I, I came out of it with a lot of questions, though. Okay. And I thought maybe the way that we could structure our conversation is to kind of go through some of these questions. Would that be okay, okay. with you?
1: What if what would happen to our nine-year-old podcast if today I said no?
0: I would just hit a button and, uh, you know, a Swedish guy would appear. And me and Bjorn would do the
1: pod. <laughs> Ryan Russillo would come out of the Copenhagen harbor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Be like, I didn't find the submarine, but I watched WandaVision. But,
0: but let's talk about Yellowstone, finally.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. So, yes, I'm going to uh, say yes.
0: Okay. Uh, my first question for you is, it's about the sort of central character, you know, and it's about the person that I think all of this was revolving around the entire time, and that was right. acting SWORD director Tyler Hayward.
1: Totally agree with you.
0: Uh, what a what a portrait of um, Trump-era institutional mm-hmm. malfeasance. Mm-hmm. Um. That guy shot a gun at some children. Now, I think that he may have been like, these aren't real kids, right? Like he was like, these are figments uh-huh. of Wanda's imagination. Although that would suggest a real deep understanding of the multiverse on behalf of acting <laughs> SWORD director Tyler Hayward. Because the alternative is that he is a attempted child murderer, right? Right.
1: Um, Do you, uh, by the way, Kevin Feige, if you're listening... <laughs> The spin-off where Matt Daredevil Murdoch defends former acting sword director Tyler Hayward for his attempted murder of fictional Chaos Magic Children trial. A few
0: good swords? Yeah. We
1: are we are ready um, for that one.
0: I do want to ask though whether you thought that this show ultimately had a villain problem. There was a little bit of uh you know, three-card Monty going on with like, is Wanda the villain? Is Tyler Hayward right. the villain? Is there a villain off-screen that is gonna appear in the last two episodes that will be the will be the Thanos of these next few years. Right. Um I I got to admit like I I wasn't really sure what he wanted. Like you know, he wanted to create White Vision which he did. Um and then he seemed like he got greedy and wanted to also Also sounds
1: like a relic of the Trump era. A lot of people had <laughs> White visions they wanted to create (laughs) back then. Steve
0: Steve Miller is just (laughs) crazy white visions. Um, What did you think of... uh, Seriously, though. What did you think of the uh, the sort of revolving foil of this show and how it was Agatha sometimes and it was Bad Wanda sometimes. It was Tyler Hayler one week. What what did you think of that?
1: I think that that's a really smart question to begin the conversation about the show because I think it speaks to what, to me, was the ultimate failing of the show. And, look... uh, what is what is failure, if not the perseverance of trying. Because I, I want to be clear, this in and of itself is not the particular failing of an individual who worked their ass off for the show. And I think we'll we'll get into some of the the winners specifically of this entire thing um as we get into our conversation. But I think it speaks to the central challenge, which is a Marvel Cinematic Universe property needs a villain because Mm -hmm. it needs to end with a fight and the villain needs to be vanquished. The show that WandaVision ultimately, I think many people involved wanted it to be, the way they certainly speak about it, the part of it that resonated the most with super fans and just ordinary fans who maybe hadn't seen the movies, is a story that has no villain. It is, as many people are saying, uh, in both good faith and bad faith tweets, this was a story ultimately about grief. Mm -hmm. And... You don't need a MCU sanctioned psychotherapist to tell you that grief exists. Can you get accredited does.
0: through the MCU to be a, a therapist?
1: I believe you can. I, I wish I wish I, I my mind is racing for the most famous psychotherapist in like back issues of West Coast Avengers. I, I can't help you with that at the moment, but I'm sure I, I'm sure someone will correct me on Twitter. But what I mean is grief is not uh, a tactile enemy that you can punch in the face. And yet the end of the series demanded one. And I think that if anything, the resolution with it's Tyler Hayward, but it was also kind of Agatha, wrapped things up very neatly, Uh moved us on to Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse of Madness. But it also neglected, and I think that we're not alone in bumping against this, the true villainy of the piece is Wanda's near month-long psychological torture of an entire town. Yeah. Which is waved away, not with chaos magic, but with Tiona Paris being like, these people who moments ago were begging for the sweet release of death (laughs) from your abject cruelty will never understand that you let go your robot sex toy lover and your made-up kids for them. I mean, that was incredible. And maybe some people can bridge that, but I don't know if I
0: could. My second question was does Wanda belong on Alcatraz? Mm-hmm. Should we reopen Alcatraz, sharks and all? Get the tours out, get the yep. guides out, and you know, I I have a lot of you know of of feelings about the American and in prison industrial complex, but I would be willing to make an exception for Wanda.
1: I mean, yeah, she there have to be consequences, right? <laughs> but there can't be consequences, and I again, not to keep doing this this sort of delicate. Um, dance here but I think that there are there's clearly partisans on both sides of this one of whom say within the if we all understand that these stories are naturally limited by what they are they can only ever be about good winning ultimately and they always have to lead into the next thing right just sketching up to the side of something kind of disturbing and profound is worthwhile and should be celebrated I don't disagree with that um, across the board, but in this case, it I, I'm going to need a little more. I'm going to need a little more unpacking of what she did to people to feel okay about any of it, and it was pretty rough and yet by the end of it she's completely recentered as not just our hero but our hero who is now infinitely more powerful
0: well I would t- I would, t- I would take a little bit of issue with that I think that she is sort of like at the end like we're supposed to look at her like the Hulk right like she's some t- she's a being that can't quite control what she is right that's why she's but got she, to live on a lake
1: well I can she has to read all four books of Larry McMurtry's Dark World series
0: I have a note I would have just okay. loved to have seen this uh-huh Throughout this season, they've done these great homages to classic television shows, classic television eras. They did the '50s and '60s. They did the Brady Bunch. They did Modern Family. They did the sort of Full House style '80s sitcom. At the end of this season, as she's sort of like confronted with what she's done, and you've got the uh, Deborah Jo Rupp, what's her name? Deborah Ann Rupp, the woman from uh, from that '70s mm-hmm. show, coming up and begging for death. <laughs> Man, wouldn't it be cool if they had done the finale as basically a Breaking Bad episode? Like, yes. as a anti-hero prestige TV, I've done a bad thing. I'm a good person, but I've done a bad thing. Kind of really reckoning with it and being super dark about it instead of, boys, you handle the military. I'm going to get the witch and flying. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like, I get it. Like I totally understand, like, the in the, in the sort of vibe of comics, like, that all worked fine. And in, in the sort of snappy dialogue of the Marvel Universe, like... That whole ending, I'm gonna get to the action part of it, but I was kind of like, boy, you had like a really cool opportunity here to just be like, isn't with great power comes great responsibility one of like the bedrock ideas of all superhero like writing? You know, it's like, why not have her reckon with that?
1: Or if we are committed to the sitcom bit, why not take uh, inspiration from another classic, Seinfeld, which ended with the four characters being confronted for their years of sociopathic, egocentric behavior and locked away in prison for it. You know what I mean? Like, that was a show that refused to give people the happy ending they thought they wanted because it was like, no, these people don't deserve that. For what it's worth, though, I I would direct people to, our old pal David Skoff has an interview with Jack Schaefer, who we will speak Mm -hmm. about in a moment, I think, who's the showrunner of, of WandaVision, and asks specifically about the shows that they chose to celebrate to or do homages to and apparently originally there was a CSI episode yeah until they that was supposed that the, to be
0: the previous long, previously on previously
1: right? on yeah but right. the, like, an, like a forensic investigation episode but they felt ultimately that the the DNA of the show was just sitcoms mm-hmm. to, to riff on okay um, so then
0: maybe it wouldn't have worked to have to have Wanda uh, start making meth although I think that would have been cool if she just like waved her hands and
1: and uh, made red meth
0: yeah got that I'm scarlet in. witch
1: <laughs> I'm in
0: <laughs> Um. Okay. After watching this finale, and it's you know watching the last like fifteen twenty minutes of this finale, I came back to a problem which I don't think I had really thought about for a while because I thought that as an action kind of fan, as an action connoisseur, the early Marvel movies, especially, had sort of been. I I just have always thought that they had like a little bit of a problem with actually the action mm-hmm. with the the like I'm not like. I can't wait to watch these guys fight. But, like, I actually do appreciate it when, if you're going to have a fight sequence, if you're going to have an action set piece, to make it make sense geographically, give it some sense of physics, and especially make the objectives somewhat clear. You know, like, what does this person want from this person? Why do they have to fight over that? And how are they fighting? Like, what are the rules of engagement here Mm -hmm. so that I can follow back and forth what's going on? And... I think that for the most part, they course corrected once the Russos came on board. Uh, with, yes, with Civil War and Winter Soldier, and like kind of making it way closer to like the Bourne movies than um, I don't know three hundred or something like that. That being said, I kind of thought that the action sequences towards the end of this episode were just sort of nonsensical, primarily because I didn't really understand the like rules of engagement. Like I didn't really understand how the two visions could be fighting and flying through one another and kind of almost like touching each other's foreheads and stuff and doing everything. Like v- visions died so many times too, that I'm just kind of like, I don't really know <laughs> what the big well, deal is here, but
1: th- I-, I hear you on that. I think the bigger challenge here is, and look, this is something that I, I, I want to be clear about. I think the best comic books do this and I don't mind Vision trying to do it as well, which is at a certain point, you got to just steer into it, you know? And if we spend too much time thinking about the fact that there are two visions fighting each other, one is completely not real. And so every, it's just a, a, a figment or a creation of Wanda's mind that has run wild, and yet is completely self-aware and has all of the abilities of one of the most powerful beings that's ever Existed with the smartest computer mind and a fucking infinity stone tattooed on its forehead, like Lil Uzi Vert <laughs> has that jewel. Um, and yes, yeah, somehow Wanda's mind is like doing these calculations while she's also chatting with acting sword director Tyler Hayward. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You know, y- you can't. But I guess I felt much like a Marvel movie. At the end, of, the part I care about least is when they're punching each other at the end. No, mm-hmm. I don't remember that. I don't remember that part. I don't think about it. And so the witch combat and the two robot combats were kind of a washes for me, but they had to be there because that is the DNA of a show like this. Sure. And every so often you get a zinger or a funny observation or a, you know, interesting momentary reversal of stakes or power. And then you also get a, you know, conversation about the ship of Theseus, which I'm into that. Yeah, that was I was, fun. I mean, like,
0: I thought both of the fights hinged on interesting twists, the ship of Theseus and the runes in the sky, both cool ideas.
1: Is vision the Bruce Wayne's parents of the Marvel universe?
0: So this is a big deal to me because yes, I I, I agree. But what if Bruce Wayne had to live through his parents' death over and over again? Cause I like think watching of, the movies about himself. Well, I just think that part of the problem is like if you're gonna make a show and you're gonna say this is about grief and loss and like getting and right. and and recovering from that, and that this whole thing was just like a coping mechanism for her to get over the death of vision, I guess in endgame, even though there's a new vision that's been created. And he is where is he at the end of the episode? He
1: wasn't it was an infinity war, right? Because he took the last stone from him and then right. he was gone for all of Endgame, and then I didn't even remember. So Scarlet Witch. Uh, so Wanda vanished and came back. Yes, with everybody else, right? Okay,
0: but uh, but like at the end of at the end of WandaVision, the White Vision, he's he's good, right? He's just White Vision. Real
1: up. is real. He's yeah. out there.
0: Yeah, he's just he's just working at a a, a Cinnabon somewhere in Nebraska. So, <laughs> um, I, I guess I I guess I was just curious, like whether or not you felt like is that like kind of like killing Chewbacca only to bring him back five minutes later? Yeah. Is that yeah, right?
1: I mean, he's he's back. Whenever they want him to be. I mean, that is, and and we you know we don't need to keep belaboring it, but like no, that I'm not, is. I'm not mad at that, this.
0: Yeah. I'm not no, no, I'm not at...
1: mad at. But I, but the point that like the core mission is to keep as many balls in play for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that token, it it managed to rather artfully do both. It 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 gave Wanda closure. We we got to enjoy the death of the green and red Paul Bettany again, knowing that he'll be back at some point and in some future future story.
0: I think it's worth mentioning with the action stuff that I read in uh, Matt Shackman did a a really long interview with Kevin Smith and he was talking about the finale and how there was initially like they had shot a whole sequence with Monica and the kids and like a chase sequence between them and the the rabbit that uh, Agatha Uh had and how it had turned into like a demon and the demon chased them and he was like it was this whole like Goonies type thing and then he was like, but we couldn't finish the effects in time. And it turns out that they were still working on the finale two weeks before the first episode dropped. Mm-hmm. And that because of the pandemic and everything, that that had basically... They had initially planned on releasing three episodes first. So we would have gotten the finale two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But they weren't going to be able to finish the finale in time.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it just goes to show you that they were still tweaking this thing pretty close up to the to the release and that, that might have had something to do with maybe what we saw in the finale.
1: So I want to ask a, I want to come back to Matt Shackman too um, when we talk winners and losers of this whole thing. But I want to ask a broader finale question both to you because you're here and then also I'm, I am curious what the show's many fans who listen to our podcast would say, which is if you are in any way underwhelmed by the finale or if you're disappointed by the finale, How do you think you would have felt if at the end of this, Al Pacino painted bright red with devil horns swaggered out of a house as, you know, the rumor mongers would have had us believe. And he's playing literally the devil.
0: Mm -hmm. As he did in the film, The Devil's Advocate. Exactly. Look, but don't touch. Taste, but don't swallow. Don't, remember that don't, speech? Don't stop.
1: I can't, I can't now, remember. Now pivot that. it into WandaVision <laughs> stuff.
0: Oh, you thought it was Agatha all along. There and it, it was me. The devil.
1: <laughs> Can I just speak for everyone without waiting for an answer? Like, that's not better.
0: That's not uh, better.
1: That's fun to think about. That's not better.
0: For Does sure. anyone think that's better? Who's I okay. I think what it was was. There was a very specific point in this show where everybody was like, all signs are pointing toward Reed Richards being on the other side of this hill. Yeah. When when Monica goes and says she's got an engineer friend who's gonna whip up this right. tank that is not gonna get into the um to the hex. Everybody's like, here comes Krasinski. Here, here comes Reed Richards. They're gonna start Fantastic Four. Um I'm trying to think back now. I mean, I think that we've talked extensively about how we ourselves were way too susceptible to like, some of the theories and scholarship that were going into the show and making us feel like this show was going in a direction that maybe it wasn't or maybe that the show and the there was the version of the show that was on screen and then there was the version of the show that was in conversations and that mm-hmm. those were actually two separate things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that this show would have necessarily benefited from Pacino or, or Krasinski or Benedict Cumberbatch or uh, any, any number of things. If uh, if Ralph had turned out to be Mephisto, I don't think that that was gonna really like make this show better. And it, it, honestly, like I I think I would need to have my own West Coast Avengers therapy if I had seen Al Pacino with devil horns in 2021 <laughs> in a mm-hmm. Disney Plus streaming show. Mm-hmm. What do What do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and it, and it got me thinking. Lost is remains one of the most influential shows of this century, and. Um, you know, it was back in the news. I, 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 people should check out if they haven't. Vulture had a oral history, oral history of the yeah. lost finale, which I really enjoyed. Damon rarely talks about that, and he contributed his thoughts to that piece as well. But I think it's become influential. I mean, it's it's influential, full stop, because the way that that the internet swooped in to carry carry the show from week to week and carry these theories and to increase the the, the passion of an ardor of fandom, and obviously taught a whole different generation uh, how to expect, anticipate and watch serialized storytelling on TV like we're all still we're still unpacking all that. But I I actually think it's worth maybe revisiting the influence because when the show aired and when it ended there was so much conversation about are they going to stick the landing? That mm-hmm. was that was the subtext to the drumbeat towards the finale of that show once especially once they announced they were given permission which was a big deal then to actually wrap it up instead of run for 9, 10, 12 seasons as the ABC executives wanted. Um, that subtextual question of are they going to stick the landing has come to really define our discourse in how we talk about long-running shows, um, you know, Game of Thrones being the, the example that is also you know, perhaps proving the rule that like generally uh, the, the, the conventional wisdom is that they didn't. There were so many shows that came in the wake of loss, particularly on broadcast TV, that were like, we're also going to throw a bunch of insane questions at you and we're just going to keep tap dancing in the hopes that you'll find these questions interesting enough to stick with us. The lesson of loss that I'm seeing in the brilliant management and success of the MCU, and now slowly Star Wars as well. So the thing that Disney really figured out is that you can always win if you never land at all. Mm-hmm. There is no landing to stick. These stories are never going to end. And their fundamental storytelling technique is define gravity. Onto the next one, onto the next one, onto the next one. And if you just keep moving the goalposts of an ending. And, and I, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying stories are defined by a good ending. Like, I think Lost was just absolutely one of the best experiences of my life, even if I didn't love the very, very, very end of it. That doesn't matter as much. But I think it's pretty amazing the way that they've completely turned what was the, the, the hardest thing about it into the defining characteristic. We're just going to keep you perpetually in the place where you're asking the questions that you love to ask, and we never fully, fully, fully have to answer them. And so that's... That's where we're at. And and I feel like that's where we're going to be with these Disney Plus shows going forward.
0: Do you think that, though, for people who have been following television over the last 10 years, there's going to be any kind of adjustment period where we're used to seeing more definitive endings, even in seasons, you know, even at the Mm -hmm. end of a season of The Wire for some first instance, or even Mad Men, like you would get the feeling like everything had changed. I don't necessarily feel like where Wanda winds up at the end of this season of WandaVision is decidedly different than where she was when I met her. Like She's always kind of been pinballing around the globe, kind of trying to find a team, trying to kind of find a family, trying to kind of find a reason for all this rage that she has inside of her. And I guess part of that will get answered in the Doctor Strange movie or whatever, but I guess that's kind of like the sort of magic of comic books, right? Is to keep these sort of essential core characteristics while moving everything else around the person.
1: Yeah. Well, I also think maybe the more generous way to consider it is one of the rules of being a polite comic book creator is put the toy back on the shelf you're and you're done shepherd. playing with it. Yeah. 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 You know, this, and, and, and in that version of it, Jack Schaefer used Wanda to tell a story that motivated her. That talked about you know the influence of media and tv and meta storytelling and also family and grief and then put her back on the shelf maybe in the shadow of mount Wondegore, shouts to my west coast avengers fam <laughs> for the next person to take her down and tell a different kind of story and, and i think that's the best case scenario here for the kevin feige management of these toys going forward that if if the if more personal voices are encouraged they're still going to end with that sort of rewrapping them in plastic moment, but maybe we can treasure the what they did with them when they had them off the shelf.
0: Right. Um, the last thing I was going to ask you that was sort of uh, my own, my unanswered question here had to do with that ending, but also with Monica and whether and you know there's two post credit sequences in the last episode of WandaVision, The first one being uh, Monica Rambeau is that a scroll, right? It's a scroll. It's a, it's scroll, a scroll, my man and Skrull's yep. like we got we got to go upstairs man we got to go to space um and the second credit sequence is Wanda by the lake and then you see that she's like got an astral projection or she is the astral projection of the Scarlet Witch the monica scene suggests as i have read uh that we are in four secret wars that there is going to be some or at the very least i mm-hmm. can see you, i now people can't see you because this is a podcast but you just put your head in your hands mm-hmm. um that like with the Eternals coming with mm-hmm. uh the movies that we know are coming b- between multiverses and also you know and
1: Captain Marvel 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and space expansion
0: right and Thor you know um that that this is getting we're going to get interstellar and in that there are celestials and beyonders and battle worlds and stuff like I I have like a working knowledge of if not like an absolute like back of my hand <laughs> knowledge of and I just want to say that part of the reason why I've enjoyed these movies, believe it or not, over the last 10 years or enjoyed these stories over the last 10 years is for as much shit as I give Marvel about like the Sokovia Accords, I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the fact yeah, it's that good hustle. it's It's rooted in some version of the world that I live in, right? Like that that the stuff that's in Winter Soldier or the stuff that's in Civil War or the stuff that's in... Even Age of Ultron, for as maligned as that movie might be, has like parallels to the world that we live in. I have no problem with outer space kick-ass dramas. Like I'm sure a bunch of these movies are gonna be good and a bunch of these shows are gonna be good. But it gets a little heady once you start getting into some of the stuff that the Eternals might be about. Am I right?
1: Yes. Um, there is a piece of this, I mean, that is like the truly trippy stuff. That a lot of it was created by like by Jim Starlin in the '70s when he was doing acid constantly and turning in these wild scripts, and Jack Kirby's you know most out there space operatic fantasies, which ended up you know things like the Eternals. There's a piece of Marvel fandom that is crucial to a lot of people's love of it, and our friend Sean Howe uh, loves the stuff, and it's really has a heavy presence in his great book, The Untold History of Marvel Comics, which people should check out. Um, where yeah, like beyond superheroes and beyond alien races there are these just different levels of like galactic celestial beings Mm -hmm. including like death is a lady in a cloak and the living tribunal which is this floating entity with a disembodied head with three faces that judges everything and eternity literally is space in a body and when the three of them talk they're just in a white room i mean i love this stuff you can't get more you can't get bigger and crazier and i think that Certain people who are now playing in the Marvel sandbox really love it too, specifically James Gunn and Taika Waititi. And so you get stuff that went back 20 years ago when we were coming out of college and they announced like a Spider-Man and an X-Men movie. And I was like, Oh, here they go again. They'll never succeed. No one wants this stuff. Yeah. The fact that within, (laughs) within a couple decades, ego, the living planet would be a character in a, billion dollar grossing film is insane, but that stuff is being brought in and mainstreamed and whatever. That said, I think that they, I I think the reason why this stuff remains successful is because Feige keeps a pretty tight rein on all sides of it. Like he, he likes to keep it rooted as much as possible in Spider-Man is from Queens, even if he's now he's wearing space armor and flying around Europe with Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, that it, it, it is kind of grounded. So, while, while whereas Skrulls and the Kree exist and we're introducing Captain Marvel and are probably coming back, I don't think we're headed to Secret Wars, which in the comics was when a multi like the most powerful being in the universe wearing a white leisure suit called the Beyonder snapped his fingers and took all of the superheroes and villains and put them on a planet to fight each other. And it was all just marketing for a toy line that. Hasbro wanted to make um, or yeah, the other that, version of Secret Wars they would Wars. never do that <laughs> no but, but it would introduce like the black costume that Spider-Man has that became Venom and then also then Jonathan Hickman who we've talked about doing the X-Men did a Secret Wars recently where he wrote the Avengers for like three years and he, it ended by destroying the multiverse and then being reborn on a new planet where the survivors were and then they fought it's great comic book reading, but I don't think that that just because it exists in comic books, they've sh- pretty much proven that they strip mine the most um, translatable planks mm-hmm. and then kind of riff a little bit on top of for it. Sure. So I the, the scroll thing for me was more like uh Monica Rambeau whether she's known as Photon or Spectrum, whatever she's going to be now that she's a superhero, was always going to be a big part of Captain Marvel 2. Jack Schaefer was one of the writers in Captain Marvel 2. Nick Fury is connected to Captain Marvel. Nick Fury is in space, I believe, when we last met with him. So I think that that's who she was being taken to see. Again, it's fun. All of this is the equivalent of Al Pacino in a red suit. But what it really is is shuffling the furniture for the next movies, which we know that. We don't know what they're going to mean and what fun stuff and little you know icing and trifles are going to be included for the for the super super redditor obsessive heads but
0: it's well, just we, shuffling
1: the deck for Captain Marvel 2 and Doctor Strange 2.
0: Well we only have we have less than 2 weeks to wait till Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So
1: um can I can we run through a couple names cuz I feel like we mentioned Jack Schaefer and it's interesting and probably not to our credit or to anyone's credit that her name has been the least uh said during sure. WandaVision's ascent to the top of the pop cultural rankings for America. Um, she is the showrunner of the show and did a really remarkable job. And I, it's weird, right, Chris, that like, I, I was trying to think why when we talk about our praise for the show, we kind of fall back into industry speak sometimes. It And and it's, I, I guess it has to do with the fact that- You mean that industry
0: like, speak like the- Job titles like showrunner or well, no. What
1: I mean is, commending the people involved for like strategic decision making, you know, which is part of showrunning. Mm-hmm. We we are le- the two of us are less enamored of the 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 occasional flourishes of poetry like the grief line, and more impressed with like the way that the action figures were arranged, uh, and I, part of that. And I don't think this is a criticism of Jack Schaefer who did really impressive job walking in. There's an interview with her, as we said in the Times, where basically like she had worked a little bit on Captain Marvel and a couple other projects and and took the meeting. I mean, they're just always taking meetings. And what they said in the meeting was, we're going to do a Wanda and Vision show and Vision's dead and we think it'll have something to do with her reality bending powers and we kind of want to end up here. And how do you do that? And so much of creative business in Hollywood is that kind of problem solving. It is reverse engineering. This right. is where they want to go. So how can I do this in a way that feels fresh and, it's and creative ingenious. and moving? It's like,
0: you never... It is. It's not like throughout these Avengers movies, like there was ever any scenes of Elizabeth Olsen being like, do you know what I really like is to watch Malcolm in the Middle? You know, like it... it, it there's never any reference to like her... Do you remember the
1: people in the Dick Van Dyke writer's room were? <laughs> incredible. <laughs> A murderer's (laughs) row of talent.
0: Don't call me a murderer; just a mind controller. Let's be clear. (laughs) Um, Maybe my victims beg for death. Yes, that is true. (laughs) This this is. But I will exile myself to a lake.
1: You've been hiding the Sokovian accent from us. I don't think it's very good. The new Sokovian Accord is you must do that accent sure. for at least a part of every podcast. But you know what I mean? Like, it, I think that one of the reasons why we are not, and this is probably not fair, this is the new model for a, lar- a lot of entertainment is what Jack Schafer excels at. And maybe she's also really great at the other kind of writing too, but this is the business right now. And I think it doesn't fit as neatly into our either our personal tastes or what we are gravitated towards elevating as artists. You know what I mean? Like, Michaela Cole... Again, totally different. This is unfair. But pours herself into something deeply personal and unique. Um, Jack Schaefer clearly also pours herself into something that is based on IP and that involves a lot of like hand-holding and cable connecting, like uh, Doc Brown at the end of the first Back to the Future movie. Mm-hmm. It's really impressive. It's yeah. just a completely different skill set. Speaking of skill sets, shouts to Matt Shackman, uh-huh. who has been just putting together one of the best CVs of contemporary TV, jumping from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" to giant battle scenes in Game of Thrones, um, to all
0: of all of WandaVision, to essentially WandaVision. A, a whatever four and a half hour Marvel movie,
1: which put absolutely has put him in the running. He will direct a Marvel movie. I mean, I guess he kind of already has, but oh, you know, you'd this, have to say
0: he's the clubhouse leader. If they ever think, were going to do a team up movie, I would probably. I be think like, he, yeah,
1: yeah, because and again, like. It, it's, my, you know, obviously casting Downey and stuff, these are the big decisions that kind of fueled the MCU. But, but it
0: makes sense. I mean, the but, the, but key, the second biggest decision too. was yeah.
1: The second biggest decision to its success was hiring the Russo brothers who had been directing on Community. Mm-hmm. But finding people who can, you know, wrangle giant productions, who can move effortlessly between tones and genres uh, and work with actors and deliver stuff, you know, on budget or on time at least, like that's rare. And that's, mm-hmm. shouts to him for making the most of, of of the opportunity. I
0: have a couple um, shouts. Yeah. I want to say shout out to Paul Bettany. Um, yes. Like, is my favorite version of Paul Bettany, Paul Bettany in Margin Call? You bet. Uh, but what about it, Paul
1: Bettany and Master and Commander, the far side of the world?
0: He's amazing in that. But I happen yeah. to more enjoy his like weird, tortured, is this a British guy working on Wall Street or an American guy who keeps letting his British accent creep in because like maybe the paycheck's not high enough? was there any he's awesome in
1: margin call but isn't he isn't it the same performance he gives in uh solo
0: no it's far less hammy it's far okay. less hammy shout okay. out to Bethany. i thought you know he, got, he caught a lot of flack for the i can't wait to work with this person i've never gotten a chance to do it before and it wound up being him and i think a lot <laughs> of people got completely like waylaid by that um were are some other winners and losers for you before we get get out of here okay.
1: Well, I think clearly Catherine Hahn, who has long been beloved by many, 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 many people, is getting the standing ovation from the larger culture for sure. that she's long deserved. You know, do you and I wish that she was getting the curtain call for, like, Private Life, the movie she made with Paul Giamatti on Netflix? Like, yeah, probably. But always good in everything and deserves a ton of credit. Because again, like Matt Shackman, she is one of those with Hansen's
0: afternoon delight. And to say nothing of stepbrothers, you know what I mean? But like I just it's great to see her get get this this round of applause for sure.
1: But but there is a specific lane for creatives now. um, and I would put Matt Shackman in it too. The people who can, you know, they're Swiss Army knives. Like they can play in any different sandbox, and that's what is being asked of them. And that's that was cool to see. Uh, Lizzie Olson. Carried the show. I mean, that that's the other thing that I think was kind of buried because the the star, I guess, was Marvel Cinematic Universe coming to television. But actually, this was an entire show built around her and her character that was not beloved and pulled it off, you know, it, being able to do the comedy and the drama and I think surprising a lot of people. And so when you get to the end of this Jack Schaefer interview that that it's Cuff did and like, what about a second season? And she's like, I definitely cannot talk about that. And, you know, Kevin Feige said this WandaVision is a one-season thing. Like, yes, it is. But what he's not tipping his hand is there's going to be another Scarlet Witch TV show. Yeah. Of course there is. Why wouldn't there be? It just, the flexibility they have is it doesn't have to be WandaVision season two. It can be the Vision and the Scarlet Witch. It's WandaVision it
0: coaching junior, junior ice hockey in Sweden.
1: You fixed it. You just fixed TV. I know. That was incredible by you.
0: Kevin, call me. Uh, Effortless. Greenwall, we got to wrap it up. As always, it's... Just been a, a lovely experience talking about television with you. Um, we'll be back on Thursday. I think we might be doing some stuff on Paramount Plus on Thursday. I'm not sure, though. Uh, oh. But yeah, like if people have got a chance, check out those two sh- shows on HBO Max, Beartown and Investigation. And thanks to everybody for their thoughtful feedback on WandaVision <laughs> throughout this last couple of months. Andy, I'll talk to you soon.
1: Great job, because We did it. We did it. We closed, we closed the dark hold on it.